Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name is Aidan Saunders from Bridgend, South Wales, and you are listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, do you have an advantage if you are amoral? Okay, it's time for the show. And remember, question everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast for myself, comedian, writer, and occasional actor, Dane Baptiste. My producer friend, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. The Hizza. Hello. And a mix of very special guests post the questions that need to be asked. And we are talking everything from... Well, we're talking everything from Aidan from South Wales's question. Do you have an advantage in life, I assume, if you are immoral? Uh, <laughs> Dane, where, where do you want to go with that one? Um, I think it's a tough one because it's what we define as morality. And advantages. Um, yeah, because some people might argue that uh, eating meat is amoral. Um, yeah. But then, and the advantage could be that I have a lot more protein to shut those people up before yeah. I eat. But then again, you know, just for example, because morals are or can be also be very subjective. So I'm not sure if we necessarily have an advantage. Um, I'd say maybe if you're a sociopath, one might argue you're able to get through life because you don't take the time to show any consideration for others. But I would say unless you're very committed, if you're a sociopath, you want to be aware that your behavior is amoral because you don't have any concept of morality. However, if you choose to act in an amoral way, uh, I think long term, the uh, disadvantage is that you would expect the same behavior or pathology behavior that you display to other people. And so spend the rest of your life looking over your shoulder for pieces of shit like yourself. So I don't think there's necessarily an advantage there. There you go, Aidan. There's your answer. And suffice to say, on this podcast, we ask and answer all the questions, don't we, Dave? Uh, yes, we do like to ask and answer all the questions. No question is too big, too small, too lowbrow, too highbrow. We invite them all. Or too immoral. Or too immoral. This is true. No question is too immoral either. So if you do like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or subscribe to us on ACAST, the world's biggest podcast network, where you can hear all of the very special questions being asked and answered by our very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is an editor and writer. He created, launched and edited the hugely respected website denofthegeek.com he is also the author of three books including movie geek tv geek and the secret life of the movies and is the founder of the magazine and podcast film stories please welcome to the show mr simon brew hello how are you are you well i'm good, I'm good simon i am a man welcome. of balance and duality sometimes i'm moral sometimes i'm amoral <laughs> depending on who you ask okay are we go that question you asked at the start are you going amoral or immoral he well, says yeah. going, going pedantic just, just for a little, because I, th- I wonder if that varies your answer just slightly. That's a good point. Because I thought amoral is someone that's devoid of morals, right? Mm. And maybe immoral would be like the adjective that would imply that you are acting while moving morals actively in your behaviour. Interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would take immoral as you're aware what morality is. You're existing within a world of morality, but choosing to go against what people say is, mm-hmm. is moral. Yeah, yes. I haven't got a dictionary in front of me, so please, please correct. I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, that, that is no, no, that, that, that's was that so was that so right? Like a good example of this. A good example of this would be uh, someone who is amoral might cheat on their partner because they don't know that that is uh, the right thing. They shouldn't be doing that. Whereas someone who is immoral cheats on their partner, knowing it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, exactly. So. The answer to that is, Howard, that there are two types of men, men that cheat and men that feel guilty afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> All that's this not me. true. That's All not true. Yeah, that's Howard. Me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There is There's the me. Howard Cohen, what's referred to in romance as the Howard Cohen curveball, <laughs> where if you are able to land such a whale of romance, ladies, rejoice, because that's he will him. be so enamoured with the fact that someone else is able to tolerate his presence, it will ensure <laughs> unfettering loyalty. 
Um, right, Howard. Completely correct. Thank you, Dane, for letting everyone in the universe know that. Are you a particularly moral person, uh, Simon? <laughs> that wasn't the rabbit hole I thought that was going to work. I mean, well, you're not in the dead of dick anymore, baby. You no, know, I just, I just thought I'll just try and make some kind of comment to make myself sound vaguely intelligent and and just like I, I, it was I, good. It was good. Know? It was good. And it was then, good. And, and then, <laughs> and then it's got a. Um, I try to be. Is is the answer to that? I I think a hundred percent morality is impossible as I, I think 100% of most things are but I try desperately hard to be hmm. has that, that that's, see, that's, that's, that's a, got an air of mystery to it that answer hasn't it yeah I just I don't know mate I don't, it's interesting isn't it I also think do you, do people think you, you, you kind of create an aura of of, of of people maybe trusting you and thinking that you have plenty of morality that's important I think that's important so if you were accepting like a, a brand new job for instance what mm. what would you rather have would you rather have a cast iron on a contract that gave you absolute legal protection from everything or the person who you're working for in front of you shaking your hand and saying let's just work on a basis that neither's going to screw the other over hmm Depends you know, on the job. Yeah, Howard. Yeah, Howard. Neither of those things are bulletproof, really, are they? Well, exactly, which, yeah. which would you rather ultimately have? I'd always rather have the human being, I think. I, I think, think it, it depends. What uh, I do think it depends on what the contract is exchanging. Uh, mm. You know, because contracts can be accepted in uh, contractual law by either, uh, I think it's um, by verbal agreement or yeah. by conduct. Or yeah. by the postal rule, where if you send a contract, it becomes into power, or is given power by a signature. So I think it depends on what I am uh, contracting over. I think anything involving uh, money or land or title, I would rather a contract because it's always the letter of the law, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so if I'm selling you a lordship, you'd want that like on a piece of paper because yes. there are companies that sell that, aren't there? Yeah. yeah. We, we could all be lords by the end of this. That's how it works. Yeah, that wasn't and, the plan for today's a, episode. And, and, owned but... an, and owned an asteroid. I haven't yeah. gotten around to that. Or even you can you can be uh, owner of part of a sovereign <laughs> nation as well. Uh, well, that, that was my question for this. Would you like to buy my asteroid? I mean, that's kind of preempted the whole thing. Slightly different <laughs> no. episode to normal listeners. But, um, <laughs> well, it's probably time for a question, isn't it, Dane? As the format of this show dictates, asteroids or, or, or non-asteroid-based questions. Absolutely. Astrology and etymology aside, <laughs> Simon, as our very esteemed guest, we welcome you to ask the first question. Give me any question you'd like, which we'd like to discuss for about 15 minutes with some change. Then Howard, the hisser here, would like to pose you a question, which we'd like to discuss for the same amount of time. And then a surprising twist of fate on this podcast, I would like to ask you a question, uh, which we can discuss for the same amount of time. And then the final question from our audience would be, where can we know more about you? And we'd leave the floor open for you to tell them about your good works. How does it sound? Uh, yeah, Yes, I, I, I am playing on your field and I will behave. I will adhere to those rules. Excellent. <laughs> well, I'd narrowed it down to two um, but I, I will only ask one, but I'm going to tell you the one that I rejected, but I don't think you'll know the answer to it, which is what was the best ever ZX Spectrum game? Because I don't think anyone <laughs> properly debated it. And I think, that, I think in the history of technology, that is the most important question of all time. Conversely, the question that I always wrestle with a lot, and I'm hoping that the combined brain power of the pair of you can sort this out, Bring it is, on. is how do we unrig the system? That's my question. Mm. How for, because um, I, 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 I work with quite a lot of people, upcoming independents and stuff like that, who just can't get in, um, in whatever in whatever flavor, because they feel that the whole system is rigged against them. They've got no way in whatsoever. So what I thought I'd do, I'd give that question to you two. You can sort it out and I'll just go and get a drink. That's <laughs> a, a really good question. It is a really good question. Are you suggesting the system's rigged then, uh, Simon? Because <laughs> yeah. if you are, Simon, the views of Simon do not represent the views of the people here. <laughs> <laughs> they match his questions, everything. Well, I'm very grateful for our various sponsors and support. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, you know, if, 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 you were, if, you were start, if you were starting out now as, um, I, I don't know, a stand-up comedian, mm. for instance, mm-hmm. and wanted to get on the television, what, what are your chances? Would sheer talent get you through? Do you think sheer talent in any artistic endeavour would get you through? Uh, it's a good question, and I would say the short answer to that would be no. And I think it's a very good question because it's probably the existential question that uh, precedes most people's uh, crises so far as their reality. I think most of us, uh, is, like there's two questions. It's like um, <laughs> that question is like how do, you, how do we beat the system or how do we unrig the system? And also what becomes of the brokenhearted are the two most adult questions I think <laughs> most human beings have to ask themselves throughout hmm. their lives. Um, because I think most human beings in terms of their endeavors 
uh, outside of their homes or outside of paradigms of family and romance and social socializing are finding ways to either thrive within dismantle or uh, transverse the system in the best way possible. So I'd say so far as stand-up, that was probably one of the first points of disillusionment is when you realize that uh, stand-up, even though, you know, the perform performance of the stand-up is meritocratic and you can tell how well you're doing by how the audience reacts, mm. but there are still powers that be and uh, institutions of gatekeepers who can still decide your fate. So um, I think it's really yeah. interesting question and like perfect Dane Baptiste questions everything territory yeah. as well. Simon. Exactly. So thank you for bringing, I mean, one of the problems when you talk about de-rigging the system is how rigged the system is. And, and obviously I would be of a mindset and maybe not everyone would agree that that isn't the intention of society. I don't think the intention of society is always to set stuff up so that nobody else can 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 get in i don't think i don't think people are d- deliberately doing that all the time sometimes they are but so, i was gonna so, say if I, if I wanted to stand for american president that mm. let's say let's even say i was american just to make the analogy work a little mm-hmm. bit easier um i would have to by by definition of the way that that system works be either a republican or a democrat there's no mm-hmm. other way mm. that i would get ele- i wouldn't stand a chance of being elected two wings and the same to... eagle absolutely simon two wings mm. and the same eagle left yeah. or Right. It's the same eagle. I think that the the thing I was just going to get at was the fact that that when you kind of think about the internet and how the internet was this complete blank canvas from which we could build um, a fair platform for anyone to do what they want, and what happened to it? It became hugely commodified by hmm. conglomerates. Uh, some conglomerates that were built out of, you know, you look at what's happened to Facebook. That's like the ultimate unrigging and de-rigging and then it's just that kind of fucking falling apart of the system imaginable in, in some respects. You know, I look at it in, in, in television and diversity. You know, Dane, we've talked about this many times on this show, and I think diversity has become a very strange commodity on television. I don't think it necessarily is a, in any way a bad thing that more people from a wider representation of voices like Rosie Jones, who me and Dane know, you know, kind of, that's a great, what a great thing. Rosie's, you know, gets a, get, you know, more, more people are getting opportunities on telly, but mm. like then it, then it gets, then it gets twisted and, and turned into brownie points. And Dane always used to bring up the high vis jacket metaphor of how, of how people get treated when they are brought onto those shows. So I don't, I don't know, man, it's tough. Well, it's I, fucking I'd tough. Say, I would say, first of all, uh, Simon, if I'm honest, I think the, uh, system of fiat currency and global capitalism is one of the things that upholds the system and the various subsystems, which you could argue are responsible for the inhibition of human progress. Uh, So let's say, for example, the system of taxation. I think for a social species, an interdependent social species, a system whereby we can all actively pool our resources for the collective benefit of each other makes sense. I think people who oppose socialism but then say, I I want to take care of my family, are paradoxical because that's almost the uh, tenet of socialism is that mm. you all take care of a common goal of helping everyone. Um, so but I think the problem is, is that the people that we employ to regulate and oversee systems like taxation to avoid tax evasion and uh, misappropriation of funds are also incentivized by the same commodity that people that evade tax are incentivized by as well. There's no point in saying to somebody, we'll pay you 100 grand a year to be a tax officer if he can be bribed for 200 grand a year by a tax evader. <laughs> it's, like they, it's like they used to say that thing about, um, well, this is complete slander before I say it. <laughs> just <laughs> before we get sued for the first time in this podcast. It, it I, won't be me getting sued. Just no, no. You, <laughs> I'd like to make clear that I'm fair, the guest and yeah. I signed a waiver and all of a sudden I adhere to contracts very, very, your very bloody question, Simon. It's your bloody question that's I mean, causing you it. You told me you were comfortable with verbal contracts, Simon, so as yeah, soon yeah. as you spoke, well, well, you gave your tacit, tacit agreement to go alongside any ideology that I spew on this podcast. If, if, if I've learned anything from your podcast, it's we all evolved. Don't we? <laughs> <laughs> very good yes we do i was going to say that there was a story i once heard by an unnamed source that could not be true but might be true that the people who take uh the piss samples for professional footballers are very easily bribed and i was like when i heard that story i was like 
Fuck yeah. Of course that. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can imagine a reasonable wage that you might get for doing that job. And then you just imagine these fools just literally you're probably taking a hundred grand out of their bank accounts and like half a week's wages and going, yeah, I did loads of coke on Saturday. Could you just give me someone else's piss? I mean, that's I think, like... I think anybody that has to handle, be involved in sanitation, because, it, because, it's, because it's an industry, like I said, where... Capitalism has also given rise to a professional and industrial hierarchy. Mm. So even though we would be, we are all hopelessly beholden to the uh, efficacy of the work of sanitation, we don't want to remunerate it like we should. Mm. And the most simple way to put that is if all the bankers in the country took the week off and all the bin men and the sewage workers and sewage, people that worked in sewage treatment plants, and cleaners and busboys in various shopping centers and retail parks and uh, commercial buildings, if they took the week off, I know which one we would notice first. Yeah. If everybody in sanitation and pest control and sewage treatment took the week off, you would notice people that cultivate and synthesize and distribute uh, penicillin. If these people that worked tirelessly at power grids, if they took a week off versus the people that we regard as the uh, height of sophistication in our society, like industrialists, politicians, bankers, financiers. If those two groups took a week off, I know which one of those groups would have much more of a bearing on the quality of human life. Very well said. Once we address that as an issue in terms of our system, then we can begin to re-rig it. I think... How does it affect you, though, Simon? (coughs) The the, the system being... Well, if someone doesn't clean my toilet out. (laughs) Just on a primal... Yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, I, I've worked, I've worked in big places, and I've worked in small places. And I'm more and more drawn towards upcoming, uh, mm. upcoming creatives and upcoming, uh, upcoming talent, upcoming company. I mean, once upon a time, I did, um, I, and this is the paradox for me at the heart of it a little bit. Once upon a time, uh, in a previous job, I looked after a wedding magazine for a, a month or two. Yeah, let's right. go there. Um, and so <laughs> my expertise in bridal magazines is not particularly strong. But one thing that's always struck with me is an interview. I did with a small wedding company who just right. said until Facebook came along we couldn't afford to advertise hmm. I was just like oh okay I get that I get that and That's so they they couldn't compete against and that is exactly what you were saying before about you know it, it, it kind of built from nothing um, and then we, we've ended up with a, another imperfect system but there was a way in for them to be able to get noticed in that yeah. marketplace conversely now Facebook has put all the you know has changed its algorithms left right and center that mm. company is is in a slightly more difficult situation and so you know for, for argument's sake if I if a new if an upcoming filmmaker came through now uh, and just tried to even just put one article on a website, uh, their own website promoting their film, the chances of that ever appearing on the first page of Google or something, which is what they would need in some kind of uh, system to get noticed, are, are just zero. I mean, it's, yes, it's not it's even zero. worth it. It, it is yeah. zero. So instead, they now have to dance to uh, a company like Google or Facebook, and you might think them good or bad. I'm trying to be as neutral as possible uh, on those. Mm. But it's it, it's shifting towards favouring a few. And the frustration for me is we see so much talent coming through. I mean, in the film world, at the moment, we, we for the first time in my life, and I, I'm in my 40s and I love commercial films, for the first time in my life, I can remember in cinemas, th- this week as we're recording this, there is um, a mainstream film from a black director with a black cast that's not being sold that way. You know, going to what you were just saying before about high-vis jackets. Mm -hmm. And then, even better, there's another one the week after. You Mm. know, so we've got Amela Means Boxing Day. We've got Reggie Yates' Pirates. And they're just sold as mainstream commercial films. Mm -hmm. And I've watched the film system for like three decades or so that I've been particularly interested in it. I have no idea how someone follows in their footsteps. Mm. I, I just don't see it. And I I've talked to loads of upcoming creatives and they put their videos on YouTube and they reach out to outlets who barely even acknowledge them some of the time. And I don't know how they break through outside of the message that always comes back is you've got to be tenacious. You've got to keep going. Well, yeah, of course you do. If you're mm. not if you're not throwing darts at the board, you've, you've got no chance of ever hitting. I believe in that metaphor. But conversely, the, the luck that's involved in getting yeah. noticed, is it just feels a bit insane at the moment so i've not answered your question at all or no no but no but you've definitely you've definitely described the landscape and i think we've had this conversation before howard about like ideology where i've i've, I've commented a few times that 
democracy, uh, the way with humans, the pattern of human behavior, democracy mm. always leads to aristocracy. So when you look at social That's media, for example, so when you look at social media, for example, there has been this scope which has allowed for the democratization of media outlets or access to media outlets to an extent, and also the democratization of voices, which is why, you know, in many cases where people aren't able to realize their creative aspirations on a large scale through mainstream media can have a YouTube channel where they can go direct to customer. The problem mm. with that now is that because the uh, democratization of this has provided a way for monetization, what that means is, is that people that have more access to money and resources can now through the ownership of these platforms, control the content on there. And mm. so now we have a digital aristocracy arising where you have Google owning YouTube, Microsoft, uh, Facebook having the shares in WhatsApp and Instagram and various other things. And then what happens is, is that those, those ideas, which would have provided some level of an egalitarian landscape in terms of creativity, because there's always a scope for monetization, well, money is only owned by very few people. So every time the, uh, so I guess the answer is any time a system is uh, predisposed to be commodified, mm. yeah. then it means those who own and in exchange in commodities will always rise to have a control and stake in it, unfortunately. But also, so, what, what, sorry, go on. So I say a system, in order for the system to be re-rigged, it would have to be a system which, in terms of its commercial power being collectively owned by its, uh, by that system's creators, and for that state to have to remain egalitarian. So an example of that would be uh, cryptocurrency, for example. Yeah. So if you had a creative landscape where the people involved in that same scene would only work with and exchange within cryptocurrency and only recognize that as their democratized currency for which there are no, uh, there is no oligarchical collective of owners... And that would be the only way you could re-rig the system. The other thing about it is the system has been enforced at entry level as well. So my kids play Roblox. I don't mm. know if you're familiar with Roblox. Yep. I, think, I think it's a fascinating system. And I, at first it was one of those things I looked at and just thought, it's impenetrable. I've got no idea. And then I sat and played it. I just thought, this is great. This is kids mm. not just being able to make their own games, but publish them. And my, yeah. I sat and watched my, my eight-year-old sit there and make a platforming game. I mean, it wasn't very good. I told him to his face, so I can say that to you as well. <laughs> you know, it wasn't very good, but he got something made. He got yeah. it out there and he was yeah. learning from that. The next thing that system tries to get you to do is put a price on it and sell hmm. it to someone else. And that's that's hardwired in from the start. So that, and it is there, the commodification of creativity. Yeah, yeah, exactly what and, you're and, saying, yeah. And as long as we continue to commodify it and, 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 and uh, financial reward or uh, fiscal reward plays such a large part in the impetus for people to realise their creative aspirations, it's going to be very hard for that system to change. Hmm. Because if the exchange for your uh, creative aptitude is... Is uh, yours might be supreme to somebody else's, but if that person is more prepared to exchange their aptitude or commodify their skills uh, mm -hmm. and are a lot more malleable to said stakeholders, then they might find themselves in a superior position to you because I can have the best film in the world. If I don't have the PR, as yeah. you said, if I, if I have the PR or if I can't get the crowdfunding from people whose agendas they feel are represented by said media, that's going to be a lot more difficult. So it ain't going to matter. Yeah, so I'd say, so I'd say to answer the question for me, Simon, it's going to take for people to create for something other than money and fame in order for us to be able to subvert the system as it exists. Yeah, you greedy fucks. Um, but thanks for the question. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the question. No, it's, I mean, it basically does come down to that. Uh, greed, selfishness and ego and all of that. And it, But I think it's important that we, you know, the idea that we get to talk about that on a show like this, hopefully... There's some people out there who might go, do you know what? Fucking, you know, I, I can't, you can, you know, you, you, all three of us could claim to have achieved things and persistence was part of that, those achievements, right? So um, in that sense, who knows? The system can still, I, I, I'm be, the system writing, can still I'm, be broken. Yeah, I'm just writing down that we've changed the world based good, on that. I good, I think that's great. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. Simon. That's, that's my perfect. CV just updated. Let me just perfect. Yeah. I am going to ask a very different question. And um, it's a very different question for me because Simon is our guest and uh, he's done the whole thought-provoking... Well, no, this could be thought-provoking, but it's, it's going to be film-based because he's okay. a... You're a proper film geek, is, right, is Simon? It is it true or false? No, no, I'm okay. not doing a quiz. Multiple I'm not, choice? I'm not quizzing. No, 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 no. Okay, so... Uh, and I've talked to Dane about this before, so Dane, <laughs> Dane's prepared for, for what I'm about okay. to say, which is um, I have recently 
thought back on the period of uh, the film that I kind of grew up in, which is mid to late 80s, early 90s, etc., which could be considered an explosion of mm. action films. Yeah. Um, action films were things that were once just films and then they had much more ability to do incredible things and they became, and the CGI probably helped some of that as well, obviously, uh, and then they became these incredible behemoths that we now see in Fast and the Furious. But like... Mm somewhere amongst that it got lost and I'm going to make a statement Simon and you can laugh your ass off if you think I'm talking bollocks but somewhere amongst that era I think it got lost that Sylvester Stallone might be one of the great artists of all time (laughs) because he's got lumped in with everything else so that's my question should Sylvester Stallone (laughs) be considered one of the greatest artists of all time because I I think he should be potentially I think he should be You've put me in a really awkward position here because I, 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 I don't fundamentally have a problem with Sylvester Stallone and I think it's scientific fact that Rocky Four is one of the best films ever made. Um, I mean, it's, it's just faultless. In fact, I just I recently watched the director's version. That he's, he's just, just been re- doing that and he's made, year, And he's yeah. made it worse. You know? Oh, really? Uh, yeah, he, he's, he's t- genuinely... He's taken all the fun stuff out that I really love and tried to make a deathly serious film of Rocky IV. And and it is not that film. I would say to you, Howard, on this, if we're probably not in truth, I don't necessarily think that Sylvester Stallone is one of the greatest artists of all time. But conversely, that is such a top tier statement to make. Mm. You know, even, even if you narrow it down to just one art form that is such you know that, that that's a very very exclusive club and different things are, di- are clearly special to different people one thing that sylvester stallone absolutely has um and it goes back to what we we're talking about before that that is that, that has blazed a trail for people behind him is tenacity um and so if you go back to the original rocky film you know, yes. that, and, and it's a well-known story. Please that, take me back there. Take me he, back he, there, Simon. He, I mean, it's not the best Rocky film because that's the fourth Debatable, one. a very debatable that's comment from debate. Simon there. Just... There's, there's, not, there's, not, there's, <laughs> there's genuinely Howard, no debate you've obviously there. asked the wrong question, Howard. <laughs> there's no debate there at all. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, the most yeah, there's a bit of debate there. Forward, right. But yeah. it's well-known that he, he made it absolutely conditional that I write it and I want to star in it and otherwise you're not having it. And he had a producer credit as well, I think. Yeah, and you look at other people who followed that. So the guy who directed Dodgeball, Rawson Marshall Thurber, he struck exactly the same deal, inspired by Sylvester Stallone, hmm. you know, many years before. And, and Rawson Marshall Thurber has just made a bad action film with Red Notice, as it happened, just bringing everything in oh. full circle for you. But that started because I'm a huge believer, um, and I know this is going slightly off your question, but I'm a huge believer that if you see someone's done something before, you know, and you mm. see that pathfinding, then it gives you just a little bit of courage or at least something, some encouragement to try it yourself. And so other people have followed Sylvester Stallone's path and the gamble that he took with Rocky. The other thing that I think uh, that I hugely admire Stallone for now is how candid he is about mm. his career. Because I bet, I, and he sort of hints at this, I bet he was a nightmare in, in the 80s to work with. I bet there was a period of his life where he was really hard work. And he's talked a little bit about this and again, I hugely appreciate candor like that because I do think that matters. That or, or lots likes... of people go crazy, right? Lots yeah, of yeah, but crazy. not many people at the end use their platform to say, do you know what? I was a dick. Here's what I did wrong. Here's the stuff I shouldn't have made. Here's why mm. I made those decisions. And he's not saying I shouldn't do that. But by putting that knowledge out into the world, that is a healthy thing. Mm. So I'm going to turn it slightly because even though I don't think he's necessarily in the top tier of artists of all time, what mm. I do think is Sylvester Stallone has turned into not just a good filmmaker, not just a good writer, but also a really prominent example of using parts of your platform for good Hmm, or putting out degrees of humanity that I would suggest when we all walked out of scenes staying alive. um, No, it wasn't staying alive. Which one was it? Which was the arm wrestling? Over the top. Over the top. Over the top is not the top. Yeah, not the best film we've ever made. The arm wrestling one where he's driving that massive truck with the little kid. I don't think necessarily when we can't stay in the lives Travolta, isn't it? What have I done there? I've got the wrong one. You've got, yeah, you've got it right with over the top. You've got over the top, right? You've got over the top, right? You build me as a movie expert here and I've just stumbled on that. But I would suggest that that's not necessarily what we would have expected of him 30, 40 years down the line. And so even though that doesn't... 
Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It does sort of answer your question because the answer is clearly no. Um, but conversely, <laughs> I, I, I throw in lots of... Mit- it's, you know, like when you, you did your maths exam and your teacher mm. used to say, show you're working because you might get some credit right, for that. Because yeah. I don't want to punch down on Sylvester Stallone. I love so much of his work. You're not, you um, wouldn't be punching down, Simon, if you chose to. You definitely wouldn't be punching down in no. Sylvester Stallone's case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, so, I remember, remember he, made, he, made, he made Stop or My Mum Will Shoot. So he well, that's one of those that he said. That he said he only made that because um, he thought that Schwarzenegger tricked, tricked him into making it didn't he yeah oh, after doing junior yeah well no kindergarten no no the story of this one's great apparently schwarzenegger's agent and stallone has said this um expressed some interest in the script um and that and with no intention at all of doing it they were just seeing if someone else would do it if they did and stallone was just like no he's not having it i'll do it and that's why oh, apparently okay. he did stop on <laughs> my mum will shoot but the, the, uh, the he did a comedy just before that called oscar and i think that's slightly worse than oh stop yeah, yeah. My mom i remember that yeah yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I i think you know not that how before, before you continue to cut you what what uh, what's the main criteria that you're using to, uh, <laughs> I should have asked that. to determine sylvester stallone's status as one of the greatest artists of his time or out of all time i think i think you look at um, a number of things. I think you, I mean, I, I do this by the way, and then you can all go and fuck yourselves if you listen. <laughs> if you don't think, if you don't think I'm right about, because like, for example, I would say Bob Dylan is one of the great artists of all time. And I tell you the reason why is pretty simple. How much impact did he have? On, on on the world uh, that's kind of you know like uh, uh, that's massive thing and then it's quantity and quality of work so that's that's the, those are the kind of defining three criteria for me uh, with Stallone I think that his impact as Simon has beautifully uh, elaborated on has been enormous you know he is people think if Stallone could have done that in 1976 um then uh, you know the, the, why can't i and that's and he was you know he was a small time actor right simon he had he'd done a few theater pieces he'd done nothing really so but he'd been extra in a couple of things i've got to get in he did direct staying alive i did just check that on the side right good important that Thanks. we got that I clear that so. is important that is I important because so. simon's knowledge right. is very right. important I'd, I'd hate to look like a tit i mean <laughs> <laughs> but but so to me um you know uh you know it, 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 he 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 set this incredible impact right dane to to, to change the world of cinema and I think he's done that then the body of work for me and this is where I think I fall down in some people's eyes because some people don't like I think there is nothing quite like the Rocky franchise we're talking like six movies eight movies if you include the Creed films right which I do yeah and I think that's great that's that's an incredible body of work like for one character to have defined uh all of and cop. Oh yeah, you know, I remember. Simon's yeah. just showing up. Copland, which is a, a a pretty good film that he made. But Tango and Cash was a nice Tango and Cash. Tango and Cash. Yeah. Tango and Cash, which wasn't necessarily a spin-off, but it was it was more, I guess, along the lines of a uh, Cobra as well. Cobra yeah. was a, Cobra was like Stallone's Terminator. Yeah. Then he then you've got the Rambo franchise, which I must admit descends into some nonsense. However, the first Rambo film, the first Rambo film, uh, the first Rambo film, First Blood, is a masterpiece of drama. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I think, then, I think, yeah, showing the plight of, uh, of veterans that are still at war despite the end of the conflict, I think yeah. was, yeah, very, very ahead of, and then And then you've got the fact that he, he fronted the Contender TV series, 
in the late late 90s, which was a hell of a show. I think he worked on that as well, you know. Yeah, he he was an exec on that. He was an exec on that. And then you've got the fact that in his later years, he created uh, The uh, Expendables, which Mm. I think is a lot of fun. And he also created a film that I love, which is um, Escape Plan, which I think is... But with him, his own... Yeah, which I think the first one is really good. The rest of it turned... He made a couple of sequels that I clearly weren't great. Still going. I think think Expendables is to... uh, conservative moviegoers what La La Land is to liberal artsy types. <laughs> it's, it was just the aesthetic of nostalgia that is needed that was yeah. so richly invested in it that you barely even needed a story. And, and I think and didn't that, get one, to be fair. I didn't get one, yeah. And no. I think depending on if your parents retired to a care home in LA versus Florida, <laughs> they'll show either of those films on repeat, respectively. <laughs> in order to allow people to maintain that stasis of nostalgia forever. Mm. We are just like Bruce Willis, Dolph Lundgren, and Sylvester Stallone in the same film. It's the 80s again. I have a mullet, and I have a 1987 red Camaro <laughs> parked outside, and life will be like this forever, and oil will be cheap, and hamburgers will never give you cancer. And Sylvester <laughs> Stallone, in that respect, I guess, and capturing that period, you yep. could argue that he is to the pickup truck with the confederate flag bumper sticker driving <laughs> person what spielberg is to your middle american kid of like the 80s yeah it's a fair 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 comparison i mean look i, I i'm aware that the the aesthetic of Stallone's work doesn't appeal to everyone. But then you look at someone like Miles Davis, right? Miles Davis, one of the great jazz musicians of all time. But not a lot of people like, not everyone likes jazz. So if you listen to some Miles Davis, a lot of people will turn around and go, what is this fucking shit? And you'd be like, well, you just don't like jazz, mate. You don't know. Sounds like Howard likes La La Land more than some of the Stallone. <laughs> I'm not a La La Land fan, actually. We just found his nursing home. Okay. <laughs> right, fuck you guys. I'm going off to start a new podcast with Sylvester Stallone. And uh, that's I'll, I'll come on the Rocky Four episode if that helps. I'm available <laughs> yeah. for that. Sylvester Stallone should definitely have a podcast. I think he, he has actually started one, actually, funnily enough. So um, we'll see it if he's sense. available. He had a I mean, magazine for a while, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I, I just think there's people who become laughing stocks, right? And sometimes you look back on it and you go, yeah, I can kind of see why that wasn't kind of as valued as we thought. But some, sometimes you look back on people and you go, fuck me. People should really respect that person's work, career and life and what they achieved. But and I think to, You know what? He, he needs to make a heightened like reality movie like Jean-Claude Van Damme did with uh, yeah, uh, that's J- a great JCVD. Film. That's a great mm. film. So if there was a film called Sly and the Family Stallone <laughs> or a reality show, I think he should go for a, 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 like a like a heightened biopic. Don't go Osborne's, Osborne's way. I think he should yeah, do Sly okay. and the Family Stallone. And I think <laughs> I think I'll, with Howard, you'd watch that, right? I mean, I'm gonna I'm, I'm already pitching it, Dane, and you're oh, exactly. Sly and so. the Family Stallone. I, I, I think it'd yeah, I don't think I'm, I'd name it. I'd name it after his initials in his case. I don't think that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would play to it. Yeah, 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 yeah it's true. Yeah, they definitely play to a different audience. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what they want, Simon. I'm not sure what happens on that side. I mean. <laughs> I I I I, th- I feel like he definitely is an iconoclast, and I think even related to the question that Simon had asked about the democratization of opportunities for creatives, I think yeah. Sylvester Stallone definitely is a brick in the wall in the strive for people realizing their own creative aspirations. Mm. Being yeah. that Rocky was his own concept that he was able to turn into an amazing franchise and mm. iconic one as well. Um, I think that Sylvester Stallone is probably responsible for the sale of grey tracksuits. Globally, um, yeah. also for the sale of like red headbands as well. He's probably done pretty yeah. well with that. Um, but at the same time, he's also probably responsible for the massive spike in the sale of M16s and, and M60s, following and, and Rambo knives. The knife is the knife is named after him. Yeah, yeah. No, they, so, they they cut they cut the second film in the UK on video, and one of the reasons why this is hidden in a BBFC report was because a company in the UK was advertising for mail order Rambo branded weapons at that point. Nice. Unofficially, unofficially, I should unofficially. Note. Yeah, I got so, the legal protection in there. Simon has so much ridiculous knowledge of I, I, To be fair, I could have made that up and no one's ever going to check that. So, you know. No, they're not. They're not. They're, they're, they should, but the world we live in now, I mean, yes. there's a reason why the uh, internet's flooded with free pornography, Simon. Before we move on to Dane's question, Simon, can you give us some kind of Sylvester Stallone, you know, some hilarious fact or bit of knowledge that you've got just before? uh, I'm sure you've got Can I do one? Sylvester Stallone's mother, Jackie Stallone, is believed to be over 500 years old and will return to the (laughs) young state. No, that's not very nice. She's the next Doctor Who, isn't she? Yes, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. 
I can't do I can't do humorous trivia fact about the man who made Rocky Four. Or, or I mean, it's it's that that is legitimately one of my favorite films of all time. Wow! I, and I'm still at this point. You bring the topic up in the week I've watched his recut of Rocky Four, and he's mm. made one of my favorite films worse. And that's wow. rare. I mean, there is a whole there is a whole subset of directors who did director's cuts that made their films worse. Because yeah. I think the extended version of Dances with Wolves is worse than the the four hour one is worse than the three hour version. It's um, interesting that Kevin Costner's work is coming up again in one of our podcasts. We were discussing yeah, him most we, recently we as well because he was the fucking man. Yeah. And I feel oh. like people forget that there was a point in time when Kevin Costner was the goddamn man. It was basically if you couldn't get Hanks. Or Kevin Costner, well, you say goodbye to at least 10 million in sales at that box office. I am an those absolute Kevin it. Costner nerd. Absolutely. He's nice. T- apart, from the, apart from this podcast, my other ambition was to, was to interview Kevin Costner. It still is. I write to his agent every three months and I have a collection of rejection letters that continue to uh, spread. Don't you dare give up. Don't you, don't oh, you no. dare no, give I up, Simon. I learned from Stallone. <laughs> I wrote wrote to his agent at one point offering to make a documentary film about him. I've never made a film in my life, but I'm just thinking I need angles here. It's a good start. It's a good start. And I think you've got a wealth, you've got a wealth (laughs) of material. And I think if you are able to engage with Kevin Costner fans, anyone in the 90s that was sitting down and watching Dancer with Wolves are definitely going to watch a four hour hour long documentary on Kevin Costner. And it would be four hours. It has to be. Because of Thieves and Brian Adams, Simon, of course it's got to be four hours. (laughs) Um, Well, um, Sylvester, if you're listening, I love you and I'd like to make a film about you. And, and please come on the podcast, Mr. Please Stallone. come on. The, I mean, we, we're After just we one of the all-time greats. To you're me. not one of the all-time greats, but come one on of the, the all-time greats like to me. <laughs> yeah. One of the all-time greats you're, to me. You're up there. Simon's okay. not here every week, uh, <laughs> Sylvester. Just so you know, so you, you'll be safe. Um, Dane, over to you for the final question of this very fun episode of our show. Um, well, I had a question planned, Howard, um, which was related to geekdom. Um, but I'm also aware that Simon is also a film buff. So I think maybe I would ask a question that will allow him to elaborate on his wealth of knowledge. It's and not about staying alive, is it? No, 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 it's <laughs> okay. not. Um, but on the subject, staying alive, being directed by Sylvester Stallone and obviously starring John Travolta, two <laughs> undisputed iconoclasts within Hollywood. Um, and hearing how we're talking this previous question, it was almost as if if there was a film-based equivalent of an MBE or an OBE, then Howard would definitely be uh, nominating Sylvester Stallone for Peerage. Mm. Is that fair to say, Howard? I think he'd, he's up there. I'd, I'd, there's some candidates that I'd have as well, but that's a good one. Well, while I feel like, obviously, we have the Hollywood Walk of Fame and there are several accolades that do exist, if there was, globally, a peerage system mm. for actors and creatives of all walks of life. Um, As a uh, learned geek, (laughs) could you name 10 people from various... So, like... 10? Yeah, so let's go for five. Let's go for five. So it's like you may have like a... So like in the equivalent of like the Nobel Peace Prize, it feels like a Nobel Person Prize for just the contributions to humanity through the arts and through culture that couldn't be influenced by money. Nice. Okay. Nice. Uh, could you give me a top five? Five, please, of, you, five of your favorite, your favorite artistic folk. Doesn't matter if they. I mean, they could be a great artist that maybe never sold that well, even if mm. they made one album. Because, for example, oh, okay. I would say Lauren Hill may have made one album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. The but album. you know, twenty years after that album, it's still lauded as one of the best pieces of uh, you know. Uh, I'll, str- I'll struggle to come up with five, but I, I, I'll go. I mean, I'll come up with film people. And let's see how we go. So, Lovely. The ones, I, the ones I think um, either need to be rewarded or recognised. Well, in my lifetime, I, how many more disclaimers can I put in before I, I actually start naming names? Can we put a few more in? Costner is legitimately, I'm not just saying this, the, the top of my list because he was the person there when I was getting into cinema and he was the first person in the world of the arts that I became conscious of as a good chooser. Right. Um, Interesting. That at the point of his powers where he could do anything he he wanted any project he wanted he could bring to life he consistently chose interesting stuff to do mm-hmm. or was willing to take a left hand. i became conscious of it with two films one was jfk um, love that film uh, incredible um and he met, that was out the same year as robin hood prince of thieves so i was just yeah. like I, had, I and my young mind was just like how do you go from one of those to the other and mm. I didn't quite get that. Um, and then, um, and then the other one was A Perfect World. 
after he'd done The Bodyguard, he then goes off and apparently had a terrible time making it, that film with Clint Eastwood. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to have Costner. Um, and, what, and for some listeners, there's probably a whole generation of listeners yeah, yeah. who've just got no idea... I mean, Kevin Costner. I, I sort of, I sort of envy them because there's so much to explore there. You look at films like Thirteen Days, No Way Out, The Untouchables, Bull Durham, mm. Field of Dreams, and stuff like that. And if you've not heard of him and you've got all of that to discover, yeah. um, I think that's that that's really something. I just think that, dip- it was almost when that was almost when like Western cinema was able to go a lot more global. Was around that same yeah, era yeah. when those films were being released, and so and, the and, and also it was, it was the advent of um, sorry to interrupt. It was like the advent yeah. of like movie channels appearing on TV yeah. and like, and uh, VHS being a lot more commercially available and the establishment of video rental. So this is how, yeah, cinema began to take a much, much larger part in our lives as well at the time this was happening. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So you got Kevin Costner on your top five list. Good, good stuff. Great um, start. <laughs> yeah. You wanted another four. I mean, I was just going to have like, okay, um, Kevin- okay. Just, ju- I mean, just in terms of, uh, there was a filmmaker called Joseph B. Ba- Vasquez who just kind of ju- ju- just is barely known. I think he only made two films mm. um, and died very young. Um, but there was a whole, um, cause I, I look at films that just like turned my head when I was growing up and his film was one of them because there was a whole movement, um, as it was reported in magazines at the time, led by the films of Spike Lee, mm. that brought a lot of young black creatives through. There's a guy called, uh, Matty Rich did straight out of Brooklyn. There was mm-hmm. John Singleton came. To, I remember watching Boys yeah. in the Hood in a cinema. Absolutely. My God. And the one who was forgotten was a guy called Joseph B. Vasquez who made a film called Hanging with the Homeboys, which I, I've rewatched recently. Well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no one talks about that. And it turned up, the reason it's in my head at the moment is it turned up on iTunes like in the last week or two and I just hmm. found it. Um, and I don't want to say much about the film short of go and dig out the opening 10 minutes of that film. Because that's just that, that was doing stuff that no one was doing at that point. And we talk about, I mean, we talked about gatekeepers here. We talked about rig systems, something like that. Mm. I have no idea how he got that through. And if I remember that, that film correctly, Simon, Almost in that, isn't it? Yeah. I, I almost compare mm. it in some way to. Um, would I, would I be wrong to draw any comparisons with Swingers, which was a film that, in some mm. ways, for me felt like no, no, had, I get that. I it get had that. little. It didn't have that much going on for a period of time, which is actually quite enjoyable. Like to yeah. not feel so tightly driven. No by pressure the plot. to hit the story there beats. You, you yeah, could yeah. actually have character over story. I, I'm going to throw Danny Elfman and or James Horner in the list as well, just because uh, their music got me through a lot of stuff. I won't take you into particularly dark territory, but sometimes sinking back into a film score was always kind of like something really quite special. And the thing about Danny Elfman, when people think of Danny Elfman, I think they think of the same stuff, which is Mm. uh, Tim Burton's work, right? Yeah, yeah. But he has done an unbelievable amount of work, right? Like a crazy number. Like the list is kind of just mental, right? When you actually go through it. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, he did his Dick Tracy score straight after he did Batman. And, the, you know, yeah. I, mean, I, feel, I, feel, I feel like aesthetically that's such an underrated film, Dick Tracy. Yeah, Agreed. it is. I, really I, I, well, I, in fact, I'd go slightly differently. I'd suggest the aesthetic is the bit that's appreciated. Yeah. And actually, there's more of a film there than I yeah. think it's generally given credit for. Mm. I think that was really bold at the time. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And, uh, it's just some, um, I'm going to give I'm, I'm going to give one to uh, I'm going to give uh, one of my prizes to Barry Norman. Uh, for me oh. personally, uh, and I do that because he used his platform to open me up. I don't think he intended it purely for me no. uh, to open me up to all sorts of cinema I just wouldn't have seen. And I love people who do that. And I see people do it now on YouTube, on their Twitter feed and stuff like that. And the, the people who use their platforms um, as a ladder for other people's work um, mm. are very, very special to me. And Barry Norman was one of the first to do that. And I remember I did get to interview him before he died and uh, made a complete fob of it. You know, I was complete gibbering wreck because, you know, I was a teenager watching this person who wasn't snobbish about art, you know, yeah. who wasn't talking down to me, who was interesting, who was engaging. And so, and so, yeah, he can have one of my gongs as well, posthumously. Lovely. Um, what a yeah. list this is. What is that, list. Have I done it? Have I think I, that's, I think that's you've done so, so far. I would like you to continue personally because now that I feel like you're getting a roll on the roll, let's keep going. <laughs> I've, got someone to, I've got someone to chuck into the mix if it's useful. I'm going to chuck yeah, yeah, How, yeah. Howard. I'm you gonna, are part gonna, of the panel too. It's not I'm Stallone gonna, again, is it? No, is it, it's, do, it's, is it Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> I, feel that, I feel that the the ones you've said 
even including Kevin Costner, are kind of like unsung a little bit. Like I think un- nobody was- shouts about Costner that much anymore. And I think oh, you I, were, I know you do because you've got a real thing with Kevin Costner going on. But um, <laughs> most of these names, I don't think people shout about them as much. And I think someone that doesn't get shouted about a lot is the uh, creative genius that is Mike Judge, who was most famous for <laughs> most Amazing. famous for Beavis and Butthead and yeah, yeah. Um, King of the Idioc- Hill. Idiocracy, Idiocracy is one yeah, of the yeah. great. That's the only. That's the only contentious point I have about idiocracy was that when America finally hits its dystopia of stupidity there's a black president but then furthermore because our black president was Terry Crews I don't yeah. understand the context of that that's, uh, <clears throat> that, that's my a thoughts of my own in that respect um, but I was just kind of like well America's now an idiocracy with a black president mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think the yeah, interesting. the, the vote, the vote yeah. following the exit of the first black president may have been created much more of an idiocracy I, think I would right, argue yeah. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think Beavis and Butthead was a great show that I loved and I used to watch it. Um, King of the Hill never really got that much love, is it, in, in this country anyway? Much was... more cult of a cult following, I think, mm. uh, in terms of sitcom. You, you, but... You've not mentioned Office Space yet. And oh, of course. In, you know, office... I mean, yeah. so, so. Um, my fifth, I've got my fifth. I've just okay. had to check out. Um, it's uh, an American author called Julie Salomon. And she wrote a book, Charty, and it's, it, was the, it was the first detailed film book that I read that got me rooting for something I knew wasn't very good. And hmm. she was a journalist who got access to the making of a really infamous box office flop, a 1990 film called The Bonfire of the Vanities. Um, oh, my God, I definitely remember that yeah, film. Yeah, and it was, what, Tom Hanks. It was the first time he tried to cast Tom Hanks as, like, a bastard, really, mm. which he never pulled. I, he would admit it, he never. Um, and it was Bruce Willis, and it was Melanie Griffith. It was directed by Brian De Palma. And Julie Salomon wrote this book called The Devil's Candy, and it was the full unvarnished story of the making of that film. And I knew when I started reading this book that the film wasn't very good. But what she did in that book is she made me root for it. That mm. she told, she tells at one point the story of, I think it's De Palma's second junior uh, director, a guy called Eric Schwab, I think it was. I remember going to see Carlito's Way and sitting through the end credits to see if he was still working with him. Oh, um, you got to watch that in the cinema. You're so yeah, lucky. I did. Yeah, nice. opening day as well. Opening oh, day. that yep. is beautiful, man. Odeon, uh, Bert, Odeon New Street. How, was the, how was the, how was the theatre when he gets caught in the toilet cubicle. I used to go really early in the morning. Um, and so I just had the place pretty much to myself. Oh, and that's nice. how oh, I, wow. I used to love that. I, I mean, I've changed since. I think cinemas are immense for comedies. It's, I love watching. Carlito's Way is such an important film, especially great? for especially for yeah. hip-hop fans who tend to confuse Scarface and Carlito's Way quotes. So it's actually <laughs> Carlito Brigante who's like, you yeah. motherfuckers think you're big time? Well, you're going to die big time. It's um, an incredible <laughs> film. Yeah. I've just bought the 4K version of it as well and it looks absolutely glorious as well. Also um, starring John Leguizamo who's come up yeah, twice absolutely. this podcast. Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Yeah, yeah his Benny book Blanco. is amazing. Have you read it? No, uh, I, I, watched, I watched the performance of it um, Ghetto Clown that he did on Netflix. Oh, amazing. He talks about, he talks about his experience and stuff like that and obviously broke growing up uh, in being from New York and stuff like that as well. I, I, um, I love how unvarnished he is with his stories. I mean, he's the one person who put out a story of Steven Seagal being a nightmare to work with and yeah. just gave no shits and it was great. Um, so yeah Julie, Julie Salomon I want to put her on the list because she opened my eyes to the fact that when you go and watch a piece of art that's not very good it's been made by human beings who generally have tried to make it really good and I always kind of followed that and not always successfully but it stopped me writing some really shitty reviews and stuff like right. that because I just had to stop and think hang on there's someone there you know, even if some people just came in and took the check, there's someone there who put in like their, their mm. hours and tried to make that good. That's five. I've done five. There you passed? go. There you've passed with flying colours. Dane, oh. anyone you want to chuck into the mix uh, while we're while we're chucking people into this uh, imaginary um, um, respective? I think uh, maybe stay on the side of like uh, theatre and creativity. Yen Wu Ping, uh-huh. who uh, was a prolific uh, martial arts film choreographer in the late 90s in Hong Kong and uh, Asian cinema. And finally, when his services were enlisted by the West uh, in The Matrix, uh, as also Quentin Tarantino's uh, stunt choreographer, uh, fight choreographer in the Kill Bill series, Mm. then I think he finally, uh, his entrance into the market finally allowed for American cinema and its uh, action scenes to become a lot more refined because they used to be soul-destroying to watch a Hong Kong film and watch a film like uh, City on Fire or Hard Boiled or like a Tai Chi Master or Fist of Legend. 
Mm. and then have to watch American cinema of people taking turns to attack the protagonist and standing around in a circle, remaining immobile until each assailant is taken down individually. And then there was the initial attempt by um, Ang Lee to show martial arts choreography in Crouch and Tyler, Hidden Dragon, which was okay to watch, but just not really what Hong- Kung Fu film yeah. fans are looking for. Like, visually beautiful, but we want it, the grit. And uh, mm. yeah, I think Yen Wuping... Um, Good shout. He was Crouching Tiger, Matrix, Kill Bill guy, right? That, that yeah, guy. Yep, that's yeah. the guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember there was, a huge, um, there was a huge amount of hype to Jet leaving Hyde to be in Lethal Weapon 4. Yeah, remember I remember, that? yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, and then we had absolutely. to believe that Jet Li would just stand there while an ageing Mel Gibson would kick his ass. And it's just like, Jet Li could fart and Gibson would fall over. Easily. I think even Rene Russo said in an interview yes, as well that it was like yes. they, had to, they had to keep refilming stuff because because he is yes. too fast. He's too fast. I mean, she was a better addition to the, the franchise. I mean, well, that, and I think I was conflicted with that fourth installment of mm. the Lethal Weapon franchise because I did enjoy Rene Russo's romance with Mel Gibson. Because, mm. Rene um, Russo's great. She is great. And again, another, another, another uh, luminary. I've just written a big article about her on our website. Oh, great. Great luminary. Because she was, she also was in Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman, right? And Tin Mm. Cup with Kevin Costner. Yeah, you go. I mean, underrated. The finest rom-com of the Uh, 90s. Underrated legend right there, Rene Russo. But I I think, um, yeah, it was um, because Chris Rock was also in that film. That's right. Having Chris Rock and Jet Li in in a film uh, alongside Mel Gibson was a real conflict for me. And I wonder what would have been said off camera when we now know who Mel Gibson is, I imagine, yeah. like before I used to be like, Danny Glover, man, like I don't like the character he portrays as a protagonist as a Sergeant Myrtle. But then now I think he would have been dealing with a lot of shit with Mel Gibson on set. <laughs> <laughs> Worth saying before we uh, move on uh, that Rennie Russo also smashes in a brilliant film called Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, uh, incredible. My goodness. Jake incredible. Gyllenhaal would be the guy that, you know what you said about Sylvester Stallone and also Tevin Costner in terms of picking, being, mm. having impeccable taste in picking scripts. I think yeah. in his most recent film, The Guilt, one of his films, The Guilty, that was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. I think Jake Gyllenhaal has put himself in a separate stratosphere to a lot of his peers with that film. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's a great list and it's been a great episode, isn't it, Dane? Absolutely. Um, it's a very good list, Simon. And I think maybe that's the key, as you said, in terms of bringing this whole episode full circle is that as we as creatives, it is our responsibility to continue to cherish and encourage and to support all facets of creativity, lest it get us in the hands of the powers that be. Um, so thank you very much for your questions and for ask, answering our questions. Could you please tell our listeners where they could find out more about your good works and your very interesting trivia, so they can be the good <laughs> people in the pub. Very interesting trivia, right? Listen, no, one, yeah, everyone loves trivia in the, on the pub. In the pub, I've like, never won a pub quiz based on any of this stuff. <laughs> never. Okay, I, I do a couple of things. I do have a new book out, which is all about midsummer murders. I've written a choose your own adventure midsummer murders book, <laughs> uh, which is one of my. That was my bizarre lockdown project. So that's that. But primarily, I do film stories and film stories junior magazines and website and podcast and live events and all of that is at filmstories.co.uk and that is an independent started from nothing and so it's one of those things I mean you you must see you get this as well I'd imagine it's just like every one person who just gives you a bit of support when you're going out there and trying to put something out into the world is just gold dust so I I appreciate you giving me that little bit of platform and it's great I I really enjoyed the episode you do a podcast with it as well don't you yeah that's right that's right the um, the, the, um, Wolf of Wall Street Episode, episode because that is uh, a, a, a film full of stories isn't uh, it just the and, and court cases yeah and court cases yeah yep. <laughs> um, respect Simon you've been a, a, a joy to have on a show and, and Dane, and me, Dane and me are pretty film geeky but it's been nice to be out, out geeked a little bit hasn't it yeah it's like it's like it's been it's been nice to hang out with the real deal and uh, <laughs> learn a lot more and I generally feel like if you do have you want to compile a book or any kind of literature with a uh, film trivia I think it's definitely a good idea or even a, even an Instagram account where you can put out different facts every day I would definitely follow oh so, bless you bless thank you, you very much thank you very much really appreciate you being on the show thank you you've been listening to Dane Baptiste questions everything hosted by Dane Baptiste for more from Dane go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at danebaptweets or Instagram at danesnaptiste our guest was Simon Brew You can follow Simon on Twitter at Simon Brew or on Instagram at Film Stories Magazine UK. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. 
Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at We Are Audio Culture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and remember, question everything. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.